Daniel Hahn is the first black police chief of Sacramento. Chief Hahn joins us today to address the hard issues about the role of police in society and talk about his views about the future of law enforcement. Chief Hahn, you wrote, quote, I'm a black man, a cop and honored to be the Sacramento chief of police. I hold this job at a perilous time. Countless progressive chiefs throughout the country, many black, are being removed. Their collateral damage in the Black Lives Matter movement scapegoats for a racist reality that they didn't create. How do you respond to activists who state that progressive police chiefs like yourself, some of whom happen to be African-American, wouldn't be collateral damage if you weren't propping up an oppressive system against black and poor people in this country that's been used against them since its creation? Yeah, thank you. Um, I think we all have to acknowledge that um, when we talk about law enforcement's history and its complicit history in treating people unfairly and racism and discrimination, we have to acknowledge that that's true. Law enforcement in the military has been utilized in every society to enforce the will of either society or the dominant society. Um, but we also have to acknowledge that it's not just law enforcement, it's our entire country has a history of that. And so um, my job and what I committed to when I was sworn in as police chief is to change that and to change the dynamic between law enforcement and community and build uh, trust. And it didn't get this way overnight and it's not gonna change overnight, but that's what we're trying to do. Okay, well, what's your reaction to those who state that you were only appointed chief of police because you are black and that by putting a black face on an institution they perceive as hostile to the communities they're sworn to protect, it's the worst form of tokenism that merely misleads the public into thinking that law enforcement has the capacity to change? Well, I'd say that's insulting on many levels. One, uh, I get uh, from some people that the only reason I'm police chief is because I'm black as an insult. And then I get from what you just said. And uh, it completely disregards my experience, my education, and the work I've done my entire life. And quite frankly, the work my mom did. Um, so uh, we, we are often an all or nothing kind of society, especially right now, very divisive, all or nothing society. And if you're black, you can't like law enforcement, you can't be good for law enforcement. And if you're in law enforcement, you can't be black um, and you can't be for black people. I completely disagree with that. I'm extremely proud. I, there's not much in my life, there's nothing in my life I'm more proud of than being black. And I'm also extremely proud about being a police officer for the last 33 years. And you can be both. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned that because you said in a recent edition of Inside Sacramento that you don't disagree with the sentiment behind Black Lives Matter. What did you mean by that? Well, I mean, I think we often confuse Black Lives Matter, the organization, and Black Lives Matter, the sentiment. And uh, I can disagree with some of the things that the organization does and the, or the way they go about certain things, but I absolutely agree with the sentiment that Black Lives Matter. The reality is, is what we are dealing with now, we often say we're in unprecedented times. Uh, I might even have said that, you know, as far as I know. Um, but the reality is we are not in unprecedented times. What we see today, we have seen over and over and over from the 1800s to the 1700s. The things they were talking about, uh, about the issues and why they were rioting in Atlanta in 1906 are the exact same things 
that our protesters are saying today, the exact same things, because we don't typically deal with what's at the heart of the issue, which is of difference and of race. We have not reconciled that in this country. We have not dealt with it. We have not talked about it. We don't teach it. And um, so I absolutely agree with the sentiment that Black Lives Matter. And that sentiment is not, that saying is not gonna go away until it's actually true that Black Lives Matter do, do matter in this country. And we do something about the history and its impact on today and even current day. Sometimes people get the movement uh, kind of confused with the organization. Just to put a fine point on it, so there's no misunderstanding, where do you depart agreement with Black Lives Matter organizationally? Well, I think uh, the way Black Lives Matter, the organization is set up is they're relatively autonomous kind of different organizations throughout the country. So, you know, what one might say, another one might not. But, uh, you know, so the, the items run the gamut. But in terms of abolishing police, in terms of uh, defunding police to the point, at least here in Sacramento, uh, that we would lose officers or professional staff members in the department. I, I disagree with both of those. I think we absolutely need law enforcement in our communities. I've never heard an actual community member in our communities, whether it's the one I grew up in or, or Del Paso Heights or Meadowview or any other number of communities say reduce law enforcement. Now, they often say they might want us to do something different uh, they might want us to be better. They might not like the way some officers operate, but I've never heard somebody say we need less officers in our community. And the communities that we're talking about utilize our services more than any other community because we have left those communities out and they don't have any other option. It's interesting you say that. You're from Oak Park. You went to Sac High. You grew up in those neighborhoods and, and you know the people in those neighborhoods. I wanna to talk to you a little bit about what you just said about whether or not people in lower income communities and the ones that tend to generate the most calls uh, welcome or oppose the police presence because the activists say that they want, they want you and your officers out. What, tell us about your experience yeah, I'll walk in any community in this entire city in full uniform and I'll be welcome. Um, I, I haven't had an experience where I've been thrown out of a neighborhood or a community, but part of that is because I've lived here my entire life and I'm active in the communities. I bring my daughters and my families out into family out into the community and my family is part of the community. So I think that's part of what we need to do both with community and officers is live in each other's worlds. Um, but uh, yeah, I've never experienced that in Sacramento in terms of wanting the police out. There's absolutely a feeling that we wanna be treated different. We feel like we're treated differently than other neighborhoods in our communities. Um, there's evidence to show that, there's research to show that. And so that to me is what we really need to work on because our city and our communities absolutely need police officers. I, I want to stick with the defunding the police issue, but before we go there, you talk about how those neighborhoods are treated differently. What are you doing about that? Well, one, we're we're working side by side with community leaders and the organizations to find out what they feel they need to help their communities be successful, and then 
building up private business and other organizations to back them up and help provide what they need. Um, but I think the biggest thing is, is um, expanding experiences of our officers and of the community. So we do a lot of training around implicit bias. We do a lot of historical training of racism, bias in our country and in our city. I teach a six hour class on that. Um, but the only way we're gonna find solutions if we truly understand people. I can't tell you how many times I've received letters, emails, um, posts on social media since the op-ed that you mentioned that say we're California or we're the West Coast or we're Sacramento and we entered the union as a free state. So we don't have those racial problems that the South has. And the list goes on and on. And that's just uh, coming from a place of ignorance that you don't know our history. And quite frankly, we don't teach our history. We don't teach it in school. We don't teach it in college. And so um, there's a lot of people that just don't understand how we got to where we are and how Del Paso Heights became the way it did, how Oak Park came, became the way it did. And I. I firmly believe that we need to know that if we're gonna start trying to figure out how we make people's lives better. Okay. Going back to defunding the police, uh, many of the activists who have spoken at city council hearings and uh, board of supervisors hearings, which I know is not your jurisdiction, but the, the, the refrain is the same. Defund, eliminate the police is the objective, but at a minimum, that the police should be replaced in many cases with some alternative form of community intervention and that the money spent on your officers would be better spent addressing the underlying conditions that drive people into criminal acts. Yeah, um, I, I think in terms of defund, when you know, I've heard 50%, 40%, 30% defunding. And I've never heard a, a rationale behind those percentages. And so to me, it means um, I'm kind of trying to punish the police department for past wrongs or current wrongs. And I couldn't disagree with that more. Like I want, I want to have well-reasoned out thoughts because that's why we keep dealing with the same issue for centuries that we were dealing with in the 17 and 1800s because we never really addressed the issue. In terms of is there a better way to respond to certain things? I absolutely agree that there is. Do we need to respond to all the calls that we actually respond on? Right now we do, because there's no other response model. There's nobody else to respond. So as we've gone over, especially the last decade or two, we have accumulated more and more responsibility as police officers and as a police department, because as the economy tanked, mental health services went away, um, social services went away, so people know what 911 is, and when they need help, that's what they use. And so we just continue to accumulate more responsibilities as other things go to the wayside. And I just think there's a lot of things, whether it's some mental health calls, some homelessness calls, and much more, it probably is not the best response with a police officer if there's no violence or no potential violence. And I think not only is it a better initial response, but... Um, I think it's a better long-term response to get people the help that they need instead of just addressing the surface issues for the next hour or two or the day, and then tomorrow you're dealing with the same issue again. In, in dealing with uh, the cost and expense issue, many times those that are critics of the police department talk about how much of the budget of Sacramento the police consume. 
in fact, in a recent Sacramento Business Journal article from Transparent, citing statistics from Transparent California, they listed Sacramento's 50 highest paid employees. In the top 10, only the city manager, Howard Chan, and the city attorney, Susanna Wood, don't work for the police department. Doesn't that statistic support that assertion that the police department consumes, along with fire, way too much of the city's budget and crowds out the needs of the low-income communities that need help so desperately? Well, I would say this. I think one of the primary responsibilities of any uh, local government or any governmental entity is public safety. And uh, we're in a, we're in a um, society where public safety is expensive. Uh, we like our guns, unlike other countries. And um, we have violent segments of our community and we need people uh, with the proper equipment and uh, to respond to that. Now, uh, have we had a very good um, uh, retirement plan and things like that over the years? Absolutely. And I think um, some governments, Sacramento included, have started to deal with the high cost of pensions and things like that, where employees are starting to pay their own way. But, you know, I would imagine if you drastically cut the pay of police officers in solely in Sacramento, there would be a lot of officers that left to cities that haven't cut their pay. And so I think Sacramento has been pretty committed to ensuring that um, the pay of officers is commensurate with other jurisdictions. So uh, that's not necessarily a big issue of working here. And quite frankly, I I'll tell you, a lot of departments around our country are struggling mightily right now with recruiting. We are not. Our recruiting is up. Our applications are up. And the diversity in those applications are up. And I think that is, um, at least in part, a reflection of the of our uh, uh, desire to get better, our desire to work with the community, our desire to be transparent. Are we perfect? No. Can we get a lot better? Yes. But I think people, at least what they say in their backgrounds, they recognize the fact that this department is at least trying. It's interesting you say that in terms of your recruitment, that it's up, your diversity is up, and there seems to be a lot of interest. On a website called thosewhoserve.com, a retired Sacramento deputy sheriff named Matt stated in a post titled Race Baiting Chief Complains uh, that was in reaction to your op-ed uh, that was recently published. He states, there are indeed societal problems that need addressing, but they have nothing to do with race, and the cops are neither the cause nor the solution. We're merely the Band-Aid trying to hold, hold the entire crap show together. As a cop, you, and he's referring to you, Chief, should know that. Matt claims that morale in your department is in the toilet. Uh, where do you think your leadership and your perspective stands in relationship to the officers and department that you command? Well, I read that very post you're talking about, and I don't think there's one word in there that I agree with. Um, morale in our department is not in the toilet. Um, are we in challenging times because of all the things, the myriad of things that are going on right now? Yes. Our officers you know, at times upset about things? Absolutely. We're not, we're not immune to the, to the times right now. Um, but I, I, I am not solely a police officer. I, that's what I do for a living. I'm very committed to it, but I'm also a father. I'm also a son. I'm an uncle. Uh, I'm a black man. I have my experiences in and outside of the police department. 
And I use all those sort of things um, in my leadership of this department. And the reality is all you have to do is look through history. And these are not unprecedented times. We've been here before. We've had buildings burning down in this country before. They've said the same issues before. Um, and so to keep sticking your head in the sand and say we're merely a Band-Aid or that this isn't our problem or this isn't something that we should um, uh, even address and basically tuck your head down, this too shall pass and we will get back to business as usual. Then two years from now when the next incident happens anywhere in this country, we will have people in our streets protesting, angry, upset, because nothing ever changes. That, quite frankly, is the attitude that has kept us in this dilemma, this issue that costs people's lives, costs people's well-being, and, and doesn't allow them to reach their full um, potential. Um, that's what's ailed us for a long time, that very sentiment. And so, yeah, he is completely wrong because he doesn't understand and he's not willing to understand. Okay. When we talk about the low-income communities that uh, your officers uh, serve, a lot of times there, there is a difference between actions or actions are driven by policy. How do you think the COVID-19 pandemic policies affect the low-income communities uh, that your officers serve and your department's interaction with them? Yeah, again, I, I've heard a lot, especially, well, my whole career, but especially over the last couple months and especially after the op-ed that I wrote, um, that, you know, these things, whether it be slavery or Jim Crow are things of the past. And I never owned any slaves or I wasn't alive during Jim Crow. Um, and so why are we talking about these inequities? Why are we even acknowledging these protests and things like that? Um, the problem is those things have an impact on today and have affect, continue to affect people's lives to this day. And we still deal with inequities. We still deal with bias. We still deal with racism. And so- Give us an example. Give us an example. Yeah, so the health order, in my opinion, is not equitable. Um, the health order. And, well, the county health order that regarding the COVID-19, how we deal with, with the pandemic. And so, um, how so... How so? Well, for example, when I in the neighborhood I grew up in Oak Park, um, everything that I did, everything that my friends did is illegal. It's a misdemeanor. It's a criminal uh, either citation or actually take you to jail for a misdemeanor, such as can't go to the park. Many of our parks, we've actually taken the hoops down out of the park so kids can't play at the park. Well, that's what I did growing up. Uh, many of us played football in the middle of the street or, or went to Sac High and went to the swimming pool in the summertime. Well, all those things at some point or another during this health crisis has been a crime, a, cr a criminal justice solution to doing those sort of things. But if I lived in another neighborhood such as I had my own pool or I golf, uh, nobody in my neighborhood golfed, um, those are all still legal in the health order. I can still go golfing, but I can't go to the park. I can still go golfing, but or I can still swim in my own home pool, which obviously you should, but now I can't go to the pool in the middle of 100 degrees in Sacramento um, in a community pool. And so, you know, it's almost as if we think that kids in the neighborhoods that I grew up in, if I lived in an apartment, like I'm supposed to stay in my apartment for seven months. 
So we have never issued a citation for the health order. We are in education mode, even though there's been pressure from the state level and the local level for my department on me to go give citations or take somebody to jail. And so there's that inequity that certain groups are criminalized and certain groups aren't. But the other thing is it's a health order. This is a health crisis. And so I, 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 you know, philosophically, I'm not quite sure at the time we're trying to let more people out of prison and we're trying to let more people out of jail and we're trying to uh, uh, realign or readjust what we do with people convicted of crimes and not have them do so much time. At the same time, present day, we're trying to put additional people into the criminal justice system for violating a health order. And so in Sacramento, um, luckily we have a great city manager and we don't deal with that specifically like businesses in the criminal justice system. So all businesses have business licenses and probably a myriad of other licenses. So we deal with that as a city through their licensing. Um, instead of putting them in the criminal justice system for not wearing a mask or standing too close together at waiting to get into a restaurant or having 50% capacity instead of 25% capacity, we don't deal with that with police officers. But the health order calls for that to happen. Well, your alternative approach uh, does have its critics. As a matter of fact, Supervisor Sue Frost a while back uh, had a post related to the protests in uh, Cesar Chavez Plaza stating that, quote, if we don't start taking back peaceful control of our streets, we're going to see the same kind of uh, actions that have happened in Portland, Minneapolis, and other cities. A number of folks have criticized your handling of the protests since the death of George Floyd as weak and inviting behavior that puts public safety at risk. What do you say to Supervisor Frost and others that hold that view? Well, let's not make any mistake about this. Uh, I knew what I was in for when I took the job as police chief. Um, and there's no decision that I make that doesn't have probably 50% on one side and 50% on the other. That's just a given in this line of work. And so there are people that want, you know, heavy handed law and order. Let's, you know, go clear these streets out and these people are committing crimes. And then there's obviously other people that say um, there's anger, there's upset, um, let them do what they want. And so I have to decide what's best for our community, what's best for my officers. Um, and so uh, if we look across this country, at the various cities that have had this similar unrest. There's buildings burning, there's people being killed, there's people being injured, there's officers being killed, there's officers being injured. We didn't have any of that in this, in this city. And I do believe there's people that wanted to do that, but uh, I decided that we were going to take an approach that um, was kind of leveled, meaning if it's lower level crime, and it's a large group of people that are more than willing to attack officers. If we went in to make arrests, we were going to be very measured in our approach. If people's lives were in danger, if buildings were in danger of being burned down, then we were going to go in a little bit stronger. And um, in hindsight, um, as, as bad as it is for the businesses that were damaged, and I feel for them because they're already struggling with the health crisis, and now they have to repair buildings, sometimes multiple times. I feel for them and I wish that didn't happen. But in the long run, we didn't have not one building burned down. We didn't have anybody killed and we had very, very few injuries. And so I, I just think we have to look at these things a little differently than we did before. 
and we have to take into account what are the ramifications for our actions. And uh, I think we did just that in Sacramento and as bad as it was at times with businesses have to repair windows and vandalism, um, we are nothing like a lot of other cities in this country. Um, and I think that was a benefit to not only the protesters' rights, um, but also our community and our business. It, there's no doubt they were committing crimes, but um, you know we have to take a measured approach and we've made arrests afterwards in a more safe environment, but that's the decision we made and I'm, I'm, I am very proud of that decision and I think it worked. And in our final moments, uh, if you were standing at the end of your career in one or two sentences, describe what you would like your legacy to be. Yeah, well, I, um, I, I thank you for asking me that. I stand on the shoulders of my mom who saved my life by adopting me at three months old and has done and did amazing things in Oak Park with helping people. So that's, that's what I do every day, trying to make her proud and live up to her standards. So I would say uh, if my legacy is I moved the bus or the needle or whatever you want to call it down the road a little bit farther to where people are treated equitably, that this country treats all people this uh, similarly, that everybody has equal shot at chasing their dreams. We won't get to where I know we can get in this city and in this department in my career. And it's not my job to get there in my career because it didn't happen overnight and it's not going to be solved overnight. But if people can say I was a man of integrity and I moved the, the organization as far as I possibly could before I decided to hand it over to somebody else, then uh, I think my mom would be proud and I'll definitely be proud. And I think we'll leave it there. Thanks, Chief. Thank you, Scott. And that's our show. Thanks to our guests and thanks to you for watching Studio Sacramento. I'm Scott Syfax. See you next time right here on KVIE. Thank you for listening to Studio Sacramento from KVIE Public Television. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes to help others find it. All episodes of Studio Sacramento, along with other KVIE programs, are available to watch online at kvie.org video.